Philippians chapter 3, and if you're able to, stand as we read the word this morning. Philippians chapter 3 will be in verses number 12 through 14 this morning. The Bible says, not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which, I all, which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask your blessing on the word. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are continuing our look at Paul's letting go as well as his reaching ahead. In verse 11, we dealt extensively with Paul letting go of that which he felt commended him to God. He once felt, I should say, commended him to God. He no longer feels that way. But letting go, Christian, is not all that we're commanded to do. Um. This is where repentance gets, I think, messed up a lot today. Is those a lot of those who preach repentance? To them, repentance is just stop sinning, just stop doing those things that you used to do. But repentance is more than just not sinning; it's pursuing righteousness. And so Paul says, "I'm not just letting go; I'm grabbing on to something new." The Christian life is not just releasing bad things, but grabbing on to good things. Let's start in verse number 12 this morning. Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul says here that he's not claiming to have already attained this power of the resurrected life, or were already perfect, Paul is not perfect. Paul is not saying, I've reached this point of sinless perfection. That's not what he's saying. He still struggles with sin. Perfection will not come until the final resurrection. Now, the power of the resurrected life gives us power over indwelling sin. We shouldn't be controlled by our sin. We shouldn't be run by our sin. Right? That's what the power of the resurrection means. That we have control. We, we still sin. We still fall into those, those things that sometimes we jump head first into them. But sometimes we fall into those things that don't please God. I'm not saying, I've not been saying in this, this series, in this chapter, that you should reach sinless perfection. I'm saying you should reach a point where your sins don't control you. That's the key. Too many Christians live lives of worldly passion, the same as the unsaved, and they're no different, except they go to church. That's the only difference. They have no victory over sin, no power over sin. Largely because they're still in sin. They're still servants of sin. Paul says, I'm not perfect. I, I didn't reach the goal. And he's telling this church, that's not what I'm telling you. He doesn't want them to feel like they have to reach where he's at. Like, I, 
these uh, uh, holiness churches, some of them have great, great, you know, uh, the Salvation Army. What a great church when it first started off. Now it's hard to call them the church anymore. But when they started off, they were preaching the gospel, reaching the lost. And then they got caught up in this doctrine of complete holiness, complete sinless perfection. And what's happened since they, since they become sinlessly perfect? They've stopped sharing the gospel. They've stopped living in holiness. They've stopped pursuing Christ. That's a big problem. He didn't attain the power. He has now conversion. Paul, I'm talking about. Paul did not get saved on the road to Damascus and be the man he is here in Philippians. It was a process. It was a growing process. And he's still growing. He's still overcoming his sin. He still struggles with his sin. Salvation is instantaneous. Sanctification is a process. Wouldn't it be nice if you got saved and immediately you never sinned again? It's a process, though. We learn. We grow. We make mistakes. We grow. We learn. Paul is urging this church to press on. But reminding them, I was once where you were. I don't expect you to be where I am, but I'm pressing on for greater things, and you press on for greater things as well. Paul says he follows after, which means he's pursuing perfect holiness and perfect conformity to Christ, which is the very reason Christ apprehended him in the first place. Right? I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended. Why did Christ Jesus apprehend us? Christ didn't die. Somebody posted on Facebook yesterday. Christ didn't die. I think it was Kirsten. Christ didn't die to carry disembodied spirits to heaven. That's not, the goal of Christ was not people around heaven. That's a consequence of Christ's work. The purpose of Christ's work was to reconcile a people to God. And then to take these sinful people and to mold them into the image of Christ himself. That's what Christ apprehended. That's why Christ saves you today. If you're saved in here today, Christ's goal is for you to look like him. And that doesn't happen overnight. Because he is far and away better than we are. Even in our perfection, our, our, our state of perfection in heaven will never be what Christ is, but will be what Christ wants us to be. We see that in Romans 8.29, don't we? Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Why? Why did he do all that? That we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's why. It, God takes great pleasure in your and my sanctification. Because every time we grow in sanctification, we become more like Jesus. And God the Father looks at us that, 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 that clay that he's molding. And he's pleased because he's pleased with the son. He's pleased with the son. Likewise, if we're Christians and we're, 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 sub, we're, we're submitting ourselves to be servants of the flesh, we grieve the spirit of God. Because we're not becoming what he wants us to be. God did not save you and me, to keep us from going to hell or to take us to heaven. 
He saved us to make tiny image bearers of Jesus. That when Jesus looks at the redeemed in heaven, he sees himself. He's glorified by the work he's doing in our lives. He's making something of us. We can't escape the metaphor of the, the potter and the clay. That's exactly what we are. I think we have this idea today that Jesus, just he just saved us, and then he's kind of like hands off. All right, you're going to heaven. That's, that's the goal. That's the beginning. That's not the goal. The goal is to be like him. And that's a process that takes time. It takes mistakes. It takes falling down and getting back up again. I mean, how many of you guys had kids that the baby just got up one day and walked away? No. They fell. And they got up. And they fell. And they got up. And they fell and they cried for a while and they got up. That's the Christian life. We're going to fall and get back up again. And we're going to fall and we're going to get back up again. And we're going to fall and we may sit and cry for a while, but then we'll get back up again. It's not instantaneous. Don't look at other Christians and expect better results. Expect that they are being molded by Christ at the pace Christ wants to mold them. Have pity on them. One of the greatest problems we have, I think, in churches today is this idea that everyone should be like me, and I've arrived where I should be. And I'm a better Christian than you because you're not where I'm at. Right? Even though I was, I've been saved 12 years more than you, but I expect you to be where I'm at. We forget all that we've gone through to become where we are today. Paul says, I haven't forgotten that. I'm not where I was, and I'm not staying where I am. Now you press on like I have to get here. When you get here, press on for more because there's more to be had. That's what Paul is saying. God is molding us, church. Every trial, every heartache, every burden is set to make us more like Christ. To make us more holy. Nothing happens to us. This brings great comfort. Nothing happens to us outside of the purpose of God. Nothing. Nothing. God never looks at a circumstance in your life or my life and goes, oops. Well, now what am I, what, what am I going to do? Okay, let me, let me rearrange this whole thing. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He planned everything ahead of time. He knows every outcome to every circumstance. He knows every circumstance that will come to us. And every circumstance and every outcome has been perfectly planned to make us more like Jesus in the end. So what are we worried about? What are we worried about? Nothing is purposeless. That's where I love the doctrine of election. If you don't believe the doctrine of election, there's a lot of purposeless stuff that happens in your life. A lot of purposeless stuff that God had no control over. He didn't even know it was coming, and he's got to figure out a way now to deal with it. There's nothing purposeless, Christian. If you stubbed your toe and got mad, that wasn't purposeless. If you stubbed your toe and got mad and cussed at the couch, and you say, oh, I sinned, that wasn't purposeless either. Grow from that. Everything can be used in our life to grow us into Christ. That's a term we need to use more. We, we are growing into Christ. Amen. We are becoming like Christ. Hallelujah. 
We have his righteousness imputed to us. Praise the Lord for the Reformation that brought that back to light, right? It's imputed to us at our salvation. And then we grow into what has been imputed to us, righteousness. So really, sanctification is just us acting as what Christ has already declared us to be, righteous. Nothing is purposeless. Not suffering, not persecution, not loss, nothing. Everything will conform us to the image of Christ. A.W. Tozer said, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. Doesn't it? Yep. Why is this happening? You're relating your bed with a trial or a struggle. Why is this happening? Let this echo in your mind next time. To make you like Jesus. That's all we need to know. We don't need any other answers. How's this going to turn out? Well, the way God wants it to. We get so worried. I get so worried. We, as if God doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, I'm so worried about the outcome of this. Oh, this is just, what? He who, as he tells Job, he who calves the deer, has he lost control of your circumstance? He who knows the treasures of the snow, does he not know what's going on in our lives? He who parted the Red Sea and then drowned Pharaoh's army? He who created life? He who created light to come in a dark heart and save us? He who died upon Calvary and rose from the dead? Has he lost control? When they went to arrest Jesus, they came back and said, never man spake like this man. They calmed the sea. The disciples said, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. If the wind and the sea obey him, my trials and struggles obey him too. My circumstances obey him. Everything obeys him. So when we worry and when we doubt, what we're really saying is we don't trust him. Or we don't believe he's really in charge. That's what, our, that's what our lack of faith says. I'm not trying to beat on your head if you say, oh, I, I struggle with my faith. Are you telling me I'm a bad? No, I'm telling you, you need to grow. You need to trust. You need to get into the word and see that time after time after time, God took Nebuchadnezzar from his throne, sent him to, to eat grass like a wild beast, and then brought him back and put him back on his throne again. Do you think he can't handle a, a baby in a, in a hospital? Do you think you can't handle kids that you're worried about? Do you think you can't handle cancer? Do you think you can't handle our problems? You realize there are deer somewhere in this world giving birth and he's overseeing it while simultaneously being here ministering to our hearts while taking note of a sparrow that died and fell out of the tree. We lay in bed wondering, how is this going to turn out, Lord? Just like he wants it to. Every time. Every time. That should resolve a great deal of anxiety for us, church. Christ is over all. Nothing can have a great Reformation Sunday. Even Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. Nothing can happen. But that God says for it to happen. 
Nothing ever throws him off or happens against his will. He does what he wants in the kingdom of men. He, I don't have the verse written down. He does all, works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Do you believe his will is good? Even though it looks bad for you? You know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, it looked pretty bad to the disciples. This can't be the will of God. Look at what's happening. But Jesus was perfectly in the will of God on the cross. And when we look back one day from heaven at all the bad things that happened, we're going to look back and say, that was right. That was the best way to do it. Boy, I could have done it better myself. You ever done something and look back and say, oh, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad that didn't work out. I'm glad I went with their advice because my advice would have been terrible. We're going to look back in heaven and we're going to be like, I'm so glad he didn't listen to my prayers. <laughs> I'm so glad he said no because he knew I didn't. He knew what was right. I didn't. Let's go on. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul counts or considers himself to have not yet apprehended that for which Christ apprehended him, meaning perfection, meaning perfect righteousness, meaning the image of Christ. He has not achieved the purpose for which Christ laid hold of him. He's not yet achieved perfect death to self, perfect service to God. This is something we've got to strive for our whole lives, by the way. Perfect death to self. Have you reached that place yet? I don't mean do you die to yourself. I mean, do you do it perfectly? Where there's no struggle? I've heard Tatsuo say times before that sometimes he goes out to preach, he doesn't want to go. His flesh doesn't want to go out. Now he goes out anyways. He dies to self. But that's not perfect death to self. Perfect death to self would say, I want to go out and I, I, I don't want anything else. You know why he hasn't reached that? He's not perfect yet. He's still reaching forth to that for which Christ apprehended him. Do you always want to do the will of God? No? Fine. Don't feel bad. None of us do. That means we have not yet apprehended that for which Christ apprehended us. But you've got to strive. So when you don't want to do the will of God, you've got to do it anyways. Because you've got to reach forward. Reach for that goal. We can't just make up excuses and say, well, I'm not perfect, so I'll just not do the will of God this time. No, no. When you don't feel like doing the will of God, don't take that as your as condemnation. Take that as your humanity and then say, you know what? But whether I want to or not, I'm going to do the will of God. Because it's right. That's reaching forward. That's grabbing on. That's reaching ahead. Paul is honest about his struggle with indwelling sin. We saw that in Romans 7, didn't we? Boy, what a powerful chapter. It really humanizes a man. I think we look at Paul as Superman with a cape sometimes, don't we? The super Christian. He had an S on his chest or a big P on his chest. No, Paul was a man. Paul said in Romans 7, sometimes he just cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am. Why do I, the great Paul, everyone, why do I want to sin so bad? Oh, there's struggle. I'm glad there was struggle in Paul. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad God showed us that. Yeah. Because I struggle. Yeah. 
And it's hard to look at Paul, and it's hard to try to emulate a superman. But I can emulate a fallen man. I can do that. But in your struggle, Romans 7, don't forget Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation. That's the difference. We struggle, but we're not condemned. We struggle. The condemnation is on those who don't struggle. Those who sin and don't care. Paul was without a doubt the greatest Christian who ever lived. And yet he felt short of perfect. When you feel less than perfect, church, remember, you're in good company. Paul felt it too. Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, this one thing I do. I like this phrase. This one thing he does. He means with life. He had one purpose in life. To let go and to reach forward. That's the one thing he did. You know why you struggle and I struggle so much in our Christian lives? Because we're, we're too scatterbrained. We're chasing this and this and this. And, oh yeah, I need to be holy too. Maybe we just let go of all of this. And say, I'm going to be holy. And then whatever, I, whatever else I have time for, okay. But the one goal of my life is to be holy. The one goal of my life is to reach forward for the perfection for which Christ has apprehended me. Really, the one goal of life should be to grab a hold of Christ, right? He apprehended us. He grabbed a hold of us. The one thing we do should be to grab back a hold of him. Stop worrying about everything else. Nothing else matters but that we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Nothing. Everything else, everything else is replaceable. Everything else is just stuff. You know, we're, we're not going to get to heaven and worry about most of what we worry about here. We're not going to, I'm trying to give a good example, we're not going to get to heaven and just worry about our hobbies. Or our job. Oh, I hope they got my shift covered. I died last night. I hope they have my shift covered today. We're not going to get to heaven and be, oh, I didn't get to finish watching that TV show before I died. But a great many people, believe me, a great many people from this generation will get to heaven. They're saved, but they'll get to heaven and they'll say, I wasted my whole life and I didn't get to know Christ. I didn't grow in holiness as I should have. I wasted my life. Listen, we're going to have eternity to get to know Christ. I understand that. We're going to have all eternity to uncover the riches in God. But I think when we stand before him, we see the beauty of God. We're going to look back at our life and say, I wish I had started back then. How many of you, just don't raise your hand, but think to yourself, you got saved maybe later in life? Hey man, I don't mean I don't mean old. I mean maybe you got saved in your late twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. You look back and say, "I wish I gotten saved earlier, so I could have known Christ more." But think about that magnified by a thousand when you get to heaven and realize you wasted your life not pursuing Christ. There's gonna be a lot of regret on the day of judgment, a lot of wood, hay, and stubble caused 
by our scatterbrained lives. Paul said, one thing I do, one thing, for me to live is Christ. Not meaning I get to go to church and be a good Christian, but meaning my entire life is Christ, is pursuing Christ, Monday through Sunday, pursuing Christ. The one singular focus of his life, the one aim that envelops all that he does, what is it? Verse 13, go on. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forgetting what things? The things he left behind. Forgetting his good works, his religious fervor, his Jewish pedigree, his faithfulness to the traditions of the elders. Forgetting the old, dead, crucified Paul. Whatever that, whatever, whatever that is for you, it may not be Jewish law obedience. It may be forgetting old, dead, alcoholic, drug-addicted Amy. I love you, dear. I need an example. <laughs> Whatever you were before Christ, Paul says, forget that. Don't even dwell on that person. Don't even think about that. Forget that person. They're dead. Bury them. Move on. And don't look back. When you die to self, you cannot keep looking back at the dead with fondness. One of our problems, I think, is we, we die to self for like a day. And then we bury the dead and we stand over the grave. And then we're like, well, let's dig it up and play with it again. No. Kill it. Bury it. Walk away. Press towards something better. Don't look back on your old life with fondness. Listen, don't look back on your unsaved life and say, oh, remember the good old days? Those weren't the good old days. Those were the damned old days when you were unsaved outside of Christ. Don't hold on to that. You're not that person anymore. You let go and you press on towards something else. It doesn't profit us to think back on what we were. Things dedicated to God cannot be claimed by us. That's an Old Testament principle. Once you was dedicated to God, it could not be taken back again. You die to self, you put yourself on the altar, you can't take it back again without sinning against God. No man can lay a sacrifice on the altar and then reach his hand to take it back again. We can't hold on to Christ just in case. Christ is not a parachute. He's not a backup plan. Too many religions, they teach, well, we have faith in Christ and we have our works kind of joined together. No, 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 we don't, we don't hold on to one and hold on to the other. We have to let go of one to hold on to Christ. That's what Paul did. Listen, if the Catholic and the Mormon, the Jehovah, you can hold on to their works and hold on to Christ at the same time, Paul could have surely done that too with his, his Jewish pedigree. I mean, he was a Jew of Jews. Unlike those Pharisees in Jesus' time who were wicked men hiding, you know, they clean the outside, the cup, and on the inside. So they were wicked on the inside, but righteous on the outside. Paul says, as concerning the law, I was blameless. In other words, I was truly a Pharisee trying to please God in holiness. He could have surely held on to that, couldn't he? But he couldn't. He had to let go to apprehend Christ. So 
we today, whether it's a Mormon or JW or a Catholic or a Baptist or a Presbyterian who is trusting their religious works along with their faith in Christ, they're going to perish. Because you can't have a hand in both worlds. Either you hold on to your religious works and you perish or you hold on to Christ and you let go of that. Because none of that commends you to God. He's not impressed with us. God the Father is impressed with one person, God the Son. We must be in God the Son by faith, or God's not impressed with us at all. At all. We can't trust Christ in our own efforts. It's all Christ, or it's nothing. Either Jesus saves us, keeps us, and completes a work in us, or we are hopelessly and utterly lost. Or as Paul put it, of all men most miserable. Our focus, our gaze, must be on Christ. Remember the series we had in Colossians? Paul stresses that a lot in Colossians. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. I want to kind of remind us of a few things. Colossians chapter 3. In this chapter, we're told to mortify certain things. Colossians chapter 3, and look at verse number 5. Paul says here, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We're told to put off these certain things. Christians should not be living in uncleanness and concupiscence and fornication and inordinate affection. We shouldn't be covetous. That's idolatry. That's saying that God hasn't given us what we need. Now look at verses 8 and 9. But now also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. We're to put off lying, we're to put off filthy communication, blasphemy, malice, wrath, anger. These are things that Christians should let go of. They shouldn't practice in their life. But Paul isn't just about letting go. We're to put on other things. How about verse 12? Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So we're not just to take off, we're to put on. We're not just to let go, we're to grab a hold of. We're not just to stop sinning, we're to pursue righteousness. How do we accomplish this? Is it on us to try really, really hard? Just keep trying? Paul gives us the answer. Look back at verse number one. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Paul's answer, look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Where is Christ seated today? This morning, he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Let me just tell you, remind you, heaven is a place. I want to 
we tend to think of heaven as this floating cloud city with little fat babies playing harps. That's not heaven. Heaven's a real place. Heaven is a place like Boston, New York, Chicago. We think about heaven, we think mystical thoughts sometimes. Disembodied spirits floating aimlessly. Jesus rose in a physical body. He ascended in a physical body. Today he sits on a throne in a physical body. A literal throne, a chair. He's a man. He has toes and fingers and hair and a nose. He's a man. Heaven has to be a place because heaven has to be able to hold a man. A physical person needs a physical place. And wherever that is, and whatever plane of existence that is, I don't believe it's in our cosmos. I believe it's a, for better, lack of a better phrase, a different dimension. This morning, right now, Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And in his presence, there is no fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, covetousness, lies, anger, blasphemy. None of that. In Christ's presence right now, there is kindness, mercy, meekness, long-suffering, forgiveness. You want to let, put off those things and put on these other things? then set your mind where Christ is today. Because those things cannot exist where Christ exists. Look to Christ. How do we look to Christ? What did Christ do? He died. And he rose again. So too, we must die to these things, these sins that we love so much. Die to, I say it a lot, die to self. What does that mean? That means self-will, self-ambition, self-praise, self-glory, everything. We have to die to experience the power of the resurrection. And when we experience that power, we can let go and we can put on. So I've been preaching on experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want us to run around the room and jump over the pews. I want us to be empowered to put off and to put on. Put off that which displeases the Lord and put on that which pleases him. And it takes his power to do that. Not our own. Look at verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So to put off these things, to put on these things, we must look to Christ where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. How do we do that? By putting our affection there. By loving the world to come more than we love this world. By loving the Christ of that throne more than the thrones of this world. To love the praise of Christ more than the praise of men. To love Christ. When you love Christ, you want to be with Christ. I love my wife. I want to be with my wife. 
because I love my wife. I want to be with her. If you love Christ, you'll want to be with Christ. If you want to be with Christ, you'll want to walk like Christ walks. You want to put on those things that are holy and put off those things which are displeasing to Christ. When you love Christ, you'll seek Christ. When you seek Christ, you'll put off the sins that keep you from him. You'll let go of all that is tainted by you, even your religious works. Remember, religious works are sin apart from faith. You'll drop everything and you'll grab a hold of Christ. As Paul says, I'm letting go and I'm apprehending that for which I was apprehended. Christ apprehended me to be made into his image and I'm going to grab onto him so that I am made into his image. Go back to our text. He says, I forget what was before. I reach toward what lies ahead. In other words, he looks away from his old self-righteousness and presses on to receive the working out of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Again, that's what our sanctification is. Sanctification is just the outworking of that which has been imputed to us already. It's the outworking of the righteousness of Christ that is within the new man. Verse 14, verse 14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's running, and there's a finish line. His eyes on the mark are on the finish line. He is focused on the objective, not distracted by everything around him. Stop, Christian, stop being distracted by everything around you. This world will do what it has to do to get your attention. But all it wants to do is distract you from serving Christ. Don't pay any attention to it. Keep your eye on the prize to be won. There's time. Yeah, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul likens the Christian life to a race more than once. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four. The Bible says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. One thing you don't want to do if you're a runner is get distracted. Especially if you're going fast. You're going to fall down. You ever watch the Olympics? I always feel so bad when they fall down. They work their whole lives for that one moment. Then you're watching and they, they're running and they're running and they're running and they look over here and they're tumbling and they're tumbling and they're tumbling. That's what the world wants us to do. Get distracted. To look off to the side. They teach you in relay races. Focus on your lane. It doesn't matter what happens in the other lanes. You're not running in those lanes. Focus on your lane. There's races I've seen where a runner falls and the runner next to them gets distracted by their fall. Oh, what's, what's oh and I fell too. That's what Paul's saying here is, don't be distracted. Focus. Don't worry what other people are doing. 
Don't worry what this world is doing. Don't let another Christian's fall into sin be your fall into sin. Be distract, don't be distracted. Be eye on the prize. Paul said, I have my eye on that finish line. That was in verse number 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And keep your eyes straight ahead. Be focused. We have the Jamili quote for a while in our worship guide, a single eye and a soul master. That's what we need. That single eye to say, I'm going to fulfill the will of God if I do nothing else. Competitors in Paul's day were competing for a crown of garland leaves that would die and fall apart. So he says, they do it for a corruptible crown. These competitors are running to receive a crown of leaves that would die within a week or two. And they give their whole lives. That's like the, the uh, Olympians today. It's no different. They start at a young age. They spend hours a day, seven days a week, practicing their, their trade. All to get a, a, a crown of leaves. They dedicate their whole lives for a crown of leaves. Paul says, we're doing it for an incorruptible crown. We're doing it for a reward that cannot pass away. Why are we so distracted? Why are they more dedicated to get leaves than we are the treasures of Christ? That's what Paul is saying here. They train their whole lives. It's the focal point of their whole existence is to get those leaves. Nowadays, it's not leaves. It's a, a medal around your neck. A medal. They dedicate their whole lives for a medal. Hundreds, thousands of hours they train and they practice. And they eat and drink with that in mind. And they're, they, date, they take or they, or they leave recreation based on that goal. And they spend their time based on that goal. And they exercise themselves based on that goal just to get a, a medal. And we Christians are over here following every little shiny thing we find, like cats chasing a, a light around. I want to love Christ. Ooh, what's this over here? We have a greater reward than a crown of leaves or a, a medal around our neck. We have an eternal, incorruptible reward in Christ. Then why don't we eat and drink and recreate and train and exercise our faith with the goal of receiving gold, silver, and precious stones, not wood, hay, and stubble. Why are we so distracted? We compete for a crown that will never fade away. How much more should our lives be focused and disciplined? Paul is pressing toward that mark reaching for that prize. It consumes all that he does, all that he thinks. The work of the gospel church is not something like a hobby, like building trains or model airplanes or golf. Not for Paul. It consumes him. It consumes his time, his thoughts, his emotions. Is gospel work a hobby for us? Then we're doing it wrong.
It should consume us. Is holiness a hobby? It should consume us. Paul is so singularly focused and dedicated that for him to live is literally Christ. Let me challenge you this morning. Die to yourself and forget that person. Don't dig them up and play with them again. They're dead. Bury them and walk away and forget about them. There was an interview one time with uh, Tex Watson. If you don't know the name, he was one of the people in the Manson family that killed the actress and her friends. He's made a profession of faith in prison and claims to be a Christian now. Somebody, a preacher, was interviewing him. And he sat down and goes, you know who I am? I'm Tex Watson of the Manson family. And the preacher goes, that's your problem. You're still Tex Watson of the Manson family. That's your problem. That's why you can't overcome your sin. His question is, why can't I overcome? Why am I struggling so much? He goes, because you're still Tex Watson of the, of the Manson family instead of Tex Watson of God's family. Stop dwelling on who you were. What you did. You're not him anymore. And if you are, the preacher said, you need to get saved. Because right. if you're not, if you're saved, you're not that person. Stop Stop bringing him back up. Stop propping him up. He's dead. He's gone. If he is, don't we do the same thing with our lives? Maybe we're not as extreme as a murderer, but how often do we prop up our old life again and just look at it? Oh, those were the good old days. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, that's not the good old days. Now is the good old days. We struggle to die to self because we live so much in the past. Forget the person who died and press on to fully grasp the new creation that God has made you to be. Make Christ and the gospel the singular focus of your life. Dedicate yourself. Train hard. Discipline yourself. Keep your aim. Focus on the prize. The crown or reward that Christ will give to his servants. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by that which is pretend so you miss that which is real. That's a real danger. Let me challenge you this morning, church. There is an eternal prize. Reach for it. Press on for it. And don't stop until we as a body of Christ, lay hold, apprehend that for which we were apprehended by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessings on this message, Lord, that I trust I spoke that which you would have me to speak. I trust that you will direct it to each heart as you sovereignly see fit. These are not my sheep. These are your sheep that you've commanded me to feed. I, I trust I fed this morning. But I need your Holy Spirit to make this effective to the hearers, to my ears, Lord. I need to die to self. And I need to stop digging up that old dead guy. 
I need to stop chasing shadows. Letting that which is pretend distract me from that which is real. Oh Lord, help us to press on, to let go and to grab a hold of, to press on for the prize that's in Christ. There's great reward in Christ. May we not miss that. Don't let us get distracted. Set our gaze upon Christ. We love you, Lord. Bless us now as we prepare to dismiss. Bless the offering to come. May Christ continue to be honored in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.